Welcome. You have entered the realm of 1111 Talk Radio. Your host is Simron. It's time to discover your own language with the universe. Empower yourself, broaden your mind, open your heart, and discover who you are. Now, here's your host, Simron. Happy New Moon. It is time to embark on a new world. Uh, I have the sense that 2020 is not quite over, even though we're in 2021, and astrologically they're saying that those energies will likely last until the 21st, and then we actually do begin a new time and a new season and a new beginning and a new birth. And so many times, if we want to look at the end of something, we will see the beginning. This is a time where perhaps we need to go back to the beginning, the back to the beginnings of our indigenous origins, of our uh, wisdom of many different types of cultures and peoples that existed, and perhaps to the beginning of where we may have really come from. We all are who we believe we are, but many of us have alternative roots and backgrounds that sometimes we become privy to and other times not, but we are drawn to. And so today's conversation is going to be one about spiritual awakening, uh, definitely about reconnection, about nature, one that does touch on the points of where we are today in the world and what we're moving through and how as much as we want to believe we're in control We are not. We have to work with nature. We have to follow the rhythms. And we have to understand that there is a wisdom that is coming through to us in many different ways to guide us, to teach us, and to help us become more humble and respectful for what this world really is. My guest today has written a book entitled Without Reservation, Awakening to Native American Spirituality and the Ways of Our Ancestors. Randy Krakowski is an enrolled tribal member of the Citizen Potawatomi Nation. He is a founder of Ecologia, an international environmental organization that works on the planet's more extreme challenges and formerly professor at Keystone College, a research scholar at Middlebury College, and Erasmus Mundus scholar at the Central European University in Budapest and Lund University in Sweden. Uh, this book is his powerful story of spiritual reawakening. And he will let you know that we are but a few generations removed from millennia spent living in intimate contact with the natural world and in close commune with ancestral spirits. We are and who we think we are is rooted in historical connections with those who came before us and in our relationships with the land and the sentient natural world. When we wander too far from our roots, our ancestors and kin in the natural world call us home, sometimes with gentle whispers and sometimes in loud voices sounding alarms. Welcome, Randy, to 1111 Talk Radio. Bojo, greetings in Potawatomi. It's wonderful to be on and to be able to connect with your listeners. Well, it's great to have you on, and I'm actually going to start uh, at the end of your book rather than at the beginning, because you, when you wrote this book and you released it, it's it talks about what we've been through this past year. It talked about you dealing with Lyme disease as COVID was emerging, and the the messages or the way that that we have to understand that nature is coming in and kind of powers something underneath the the scenes and as strong medicine and guiding us to understand many different things so i'd love to first have 
you give us kind of an overview and a perspective in terms of where we've been the last year and where you feel like we're going in connection to what nature and our ancestral wisdom is really trying to get across to us, which I would say is probably in a loud voice sounding alarms at this time, rather than the gentle whispers, because I don't know that we've been listening to the gentle whispers quite so clearly. Thank you for the question, and thank you for having the courage to do what I do in my book and have done more and more in my recent life, which is to not proceed in a linear fashion to pick up where my intuition directs me. And sometimes that's starting at the end. Sometimes that's looping back to the past and then into the present and back to the past. And that's what you've just done marvelously. So let me, let me try to address your rather formidable question. Um, I, actually, exactly a year ago, I was penning the final chapter to my book after my publisher and I both thought it was complete. And that was just as I was coming down with Lyme disease on the day I was reading about COVID, this strange new virus emerging in China. And it immediately struck me that Mother Nature, Mother Earth, living systems were delivering a message both to me on a personal scale and probably to all of us and I could not begin to imagine at the time how much to all of us on a global scale. We, we like to think um, we're deluded by our post-World War II engineering and the marvels of you know, economic growth, which seemed like it would go on forever. We're deluded into thinking, as you said in your intro, that we are masters of the universe. And this little virus which has no brain, is outwitting our best science, our best scientists, our best policymakers, not to mention those who are inadequate to the task. You know, our pharmaceutical industry, we're making progress, but in the midst of that progress, I think we need to take a, a moment and ask, what should we be learning from this? And I think what we should be learning, as I say in one of those final chapters, is a bit of humility, not surrendering our sense of competence or faith in our own ability to persevere, but maybe giving up a little bit of the notion that we are in total control. Um, my little episode with Lyme disease certainly taught me that. It knocked me over quite literally, um, and it was not initially a spiritual experience, it was purely physiological. But as, as I reflect, I now realize that the humility that is delivered in that kind of experience is the same kind of humility that points to a path forward. And there's a great deal of angst right now and hand-wringing about whether Mother Nature is angry at us and has unleashed this virus or whether Mother Nature is angry and we're going to destroy ourselves with climate change. I think we need to back off from all of these assumptions, all of which are knotted up and tied around this notion that everything is about us and about our power we are not that significant in the grand scheme of things. 
Mother Nature has not decided to punish us. The virus is not out to get us. We need to learn how to heal with Mother Nature. We need to learn to adjust and rethink our place in the universe. That's beautifully said, Randy. And, you know, I think that that is one of the big issues that we have is we we are quite self-obsessed. We really do want to place ourselves at the center of the universe. And this all was part of your section that had to do with microbes and black swans and the uh, the different ways that even the littlest creatures among us can can provide these valuable lessons and also kind of the discipline that we need as human beings sometimes because we we tend to um, overreach in terms of of what we think is possible. And in that chapter, you also wrote about how with our intellect, with our progress uh, and technology, so often we're so far ahead in terms of what we know can happen and yet we're not prepared at all in, in the face of that anyway. It's, it's one thing to master the science and read the reports on things like the coming pandemics. Many people were writing about them. It's another thing to read about climate change, and many people, scientists, have written about it for decades. But we don't necessarily process deeply information, rational information, and then adjust our behavior, not to mention our spiritual posture. And I think that's what is called for. And I think we're inching toward that. I see signs of it in messages from readers and an online course that I'm taking right now called Surviving the Future. I'm seeing a desperate hunger for answers, but not not naive answers, hard answers and guidance on, as you said, how to readjust our thinking and become realistic and accept our role. Certainly, my ancestors had a moment of awakening when the Europeans arrived 500 years ago and brought a pandemic that helped to eliminate 90% of us. I don't think we're looking at anything on that scale happening in the current world. That said, I think we can learn from what happened to my ancestors and learn from their resilience and their healing, which is ongoing. And I have been able to partake in that, and I am grateful. And I think that that's one of the uh, pieces of wisdom that nature through this virus or different things like this tries to teach us is not only the humility, but the resilience that you speak of and also the adaptability because because we even see the virus adapting, you know, to be able to, to maintain a certain level of strength. But it's almost as if that's so that we uh, first and foremost step into a greater level of mastery in terms of how we're handling things, but also so that we slip back into a more simpler life. It has almost commanded us to be more present, to be more in tune, um, to connect more 
which will then take us back to the beginning of your book uh, where we we start to get into your story. But I wanted to see if you had anything else to say in regard to the resilience, the humility, or the adaptability. I just want to reaffirm, and I feel that I could not repeat it too often in the midst of the current prevailing mentality and spiritual crisis, that the planet is healing. Even these things that we call viruses, which are a very strange life form that we barely understand, are a critical part of the ecosystem. Um, we, our attention is drawn to the ones that bring harm to us, but if you actually should ever go online and search for something like the positive functions of viruses, you'll discover that they are as critical a part of the ecosystem as are the microbes in our gut, um, which, by the way, outnumber us in the number of cells. They outnumber the number of human cells we have in our body. So what, what we view as adversary is also um, ally. And that is the key to surviving and transcending the current panic. We have to understand that we can work with Mother Nature. And when people ask me for examples, you know, I've loaded my book in one chapter with a few and I could write books about it, but there are as many examples out there of the planet healing as there are examples of the planet in a disturbed state of disequilibrium. Right now, I think disequilibrium and disintegration has the upper hand, but the planet is a living organism. It is self-regulating and if we should decide to work with it, we can heal together. That is Native American wisdom at its best and in a nutshell. That That's very powerful wisdom and particularly points to the fact that there are always wisdoms and cycles. And it is illustrative over time how we have these events happen in large and small ways for a grander picture than, than what is taking place and what it tends to rock within us is identity um as you said the word disintegration and disequilibrium a book that i'm currently working on has a lot to do with dispassion and equanimity and that rather than just the process of integrating our spirituality we are also in the process of disintegrating our identities and to discover more oneness and you're book has a lot to do with identity. It has the to do with the identity of who we believe ourselves to be based on the people around us. And then as your story unfolds, uncovering another identity that is your uh, ancestry and, and heritage and connection to the earth. So uh, speak about this ambiguity around identity that is existent in you and why this book Uh, needed to be written to support others, whether or not it relates to the Native American tradition or some other uh, ancestral lineage, why that is so important. Well, as as you know, I mean, literally the first sentence in my book is directly addressing this question of identity. I, I write mirror, mirror on the wall. Am I really an Indian after all? Because when I look in the mirror, I don't see the stereotypical Native American looking back. I think I said in the next paragraph of that first sentence, 
that I look more like my adopted Lithuanian ancestors with, you know, light brown hair and blue eyes. And we, we too often um, superficially respond to what society tells us about who we are. I'm to be, you know, totally direct and honest about it. I'm five generations from my Native American ancestry. And in some, some Native American tribes, that would actually disqualify me from being Native American because some American tribes use this thing called blood quantum. Canadians use it. Canadians also have another status called Metis, which allows one to claim Native status based on French indigenous um, combined ancestry, and that is in, indeed mine. So when people ask me, how, Randy, how can you claim to have Indian identity and be connected with your ancestors, I repeatedly use the example of the monarch butterflies, which yearly migrate south and on their journey and their um, roosting in, uh, in, in the jungles, um, they undergo five generations before they return to their homeland. Yet, somehow they manage to hold on to the memory of exactly where they need to go home. Somehow memories are embedded in our DNA and RNA. And I think that is the hope for us as humans, that the wisdom of our ancestors and living on this planet for millennia is accessible if we will allow ourselves to access it. Part of that is deciding who we are. Are we going to reclaim our ancestral roots or are we going to live only in the present? Crisis can be time to dig into our alternative and neglected historical narratives and to gather their wisdom. The isolation and timeouts imposed on us in the form of quarantines may be a hidden gift, a pause button encouraging such reflection. Imagine our families and communities gathered in small groups around a fire, exchanging stories of ancestral wisdom and reimagining our future. Imagine the cultural enrichment that might come if this became routine. This is from the book Without Reservation, Awakening to Native American Spirituality and the Ways of Our Ancestors. In this powerful story of spiritual awakening, Randy Krakowski shares his journey into the realm of the ancestral Native American connections and intimate encounters with Mother Earth and shows how anyone can spiritually reconnect with their ancestors and nature. Like 70% of those who identify as Native American, Krakowski grew up off-reservation, and he explains for such off-reservation indigenous people, rediscovering ancestral practices amounts to reawakening and offers significant insights about living in a society that is struggling to mend a heavily damaged planet. You can find out more about Without Reservation and Randy Krakowski at his website, which is in his in the bio link on the show page. Uh, you can go to randykritkowski.com. That's K-R-I-T-K-A-U-S-K-Y.com. We'll be right back after these messages with more conversation around spiritual awakening, reconnection with nature, and the rekindling of ancestral wisdom. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 
11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today. www.1111mag.com. 1111 Magazine is a bi monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. Do you want more, more joy, more abundance, more power and presence? How would it feel to have more loving relationships, more empowered community, greater fulfillment and life purpose? The 1111 Mastermind Community inspires, empowers, guides and supports transformation. Shift your mind, expand your heart, deepen insights, let go and chart a new course, dream a new dream. The 1111 Mastermind Community is an online portal for personal transformation and soulful expansion. Go to courses.1111mag.com. That's courses.1111mag.com. Change begins with you. Let it be simple, convenient, and transformative. The time is now. Step through the 1111 Gateway. Courses.1111mag.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. Simron is an award-winning author, publisher of 1111 Magazine, powerful speaker of wisdom, and a life mentor. Find out more at IamSimron.com. Now, back to 1111 Talk Radio. Before I get back to my guest, I wanted to mention uh, that BetterHelp.com is offering a special for 1111 listeners. You can get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com. That's H-E-L-P, BetterHelp. So if there's something that's interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals, then this might be the perfect time to get that support. BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. Uh, There is a broad range of expertise that's available that might not be locally available in many areas, and you can do it from the comfort of your own home by phone or by video. This is not a crisis line. It is not self-help. This is actually professional counseling done securely online. So if you are experiencing any issues or depression or anything that's going on uh, in regard to what is going on in our world today, I urge you to 
pick up the phone or go to the website and connect with BetterHelp.com. You can get that 10% off uh, by putting in the code 11, so BetterHelp.com forward slash 11. It is more affordable than traditional offline counseling. Financial aid is available. Uh, BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. So visit their website, read their testimonials that are posted daily. And you can also uh, join the over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. So once again, that special offer for 1111 Talk Radio listeners is 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com forward slash 11. My guest today is Randy Kritkowski, and he is the author of a powerful story on spiritual awakening titled Without Reservation. Uh, In this story, he shares his journey into the realm of ancestral Native American connections and intimate encounters with Mother Earth and shows how anyone can spiritually reconnect with their ancestors and nature. If a middle-class, off-the-reservation Indian can help to reestablish the validity of human connections to ancestors and natural kin, then maybe there's something out there for the rest of us as well. If a Native American like Randy Krakowski with attenuated cultural connections can shed light on how we might rethink our engagement with nature, what more might we learn from Indians living on the reservation? If they actually regain all the land, the rights, and the resources they are legally entitled to, so that they might teach us by example. Once again, the title of the book is Without Reservation. Subtitle, Awakening to Native American Spirituality and the Ways of Our Ancestors. You can find out more about this and Randy at randykritkowski.com. That website link is in the bio description of the guest. Uh, Randy, we were talking a bit about your writing of this book and identity. And so without reservation really does convey another reality. It is it is talking about your individual journey, but it's also talking about a collective journey. And and then it goes on to to really a, a global connection because it is this interconnected uh, path that you were unfolding between nature, this heritage, and the identity that you thought you were that really brings about a sense of of how we are continually guided, how we can make sense sometimes of the things that don't make sense and then how we can also become of service in the process. And so as you began this journey and you were exploring some of, of your, your background, um, talk a little bit about some of the challenge that was going on within you and how that unfolding uh, perhaps either allowed you to receive the answers or or cause more challenge and questions? Well, I love your questions. Um, they're in amazingly respectful and show real, really close reading uh, of my book. I, I'm grateful to you. Thank you. Um, as, as I describe in my book, you know, this is a, a late life pathway for me. Um, I'm a you know university graduate. I went to an Ivy League university and was trained as a sociologist and began to analyze the entire world and all social and natural relationships, you know, in an empirical mechanistic framework. 
And that got me through many, many, many decades. Uh, I felt that was really all I needed to know. And I operated an international environmental organization in the what was then the Soviet Union, later Russia, then China. And I felt that good science and good policy had the answers to get us to where we needed to get. And then the awakening happened, and it caught me completely off guard. As I say in the book, it blindsided me. And there were perplexing moments as well as wondrous moments. So I'll, I'll give an example. Um, the, the, the first awakening moments really resulted from our sleeping on a screened-in porch here in Vermont, which we do for six months of the year until the frost <laughs> drives us inside. And I began to notice at night that I was being awakened by creatures in the forest. The first one was a simple firefly. For those who've never seen this miraculous insect, it has a little green light in its tail and it blinks off and on. And they appear in this late springtime, sometimes by the hundreds and in the best years, by the thousands. It's like the stars have fallen from the heavens onto the earth. But I was awakened one night by the sound, it's the only way I could describe it because my eyes were closed, the sound of the firefly. And I awakened and sure enough, there was a huge firefly blinking on the screen. And shortly after I awakened, I heard you know, the clay wolves and owl that we call Kukuo Ku calling to me. And I had this just immediate spine chilling realization that Mother Nature was trying to tell me something. That's when I began to write. I simply got up and described the event I've just described to you and your listeners. I didn't know what the message was at first, and I didn't know how to process it. So I wrote to elders in my tribe, wondering, quite frankly, apropos of your question, if I were hallucinating or losing my mind. Because at the time, my mother was living with us. She'd had a stroke, and it was clear that she was not going to live much longer. She was in her mid-90s. And my patient elders wrote back and said, no, actually, the owl coming in the middle of the night is what happens. It's part of our tradition. It's part of how Mother Nature guides home those who are about to walk on. And suddenly, these perplexing developments, which began to happen every night, began to make me feel comfortable, made me feel engaged and enveloped and not alone. I have to say, not alone spiritually the, for the first time in many, many, many decades in my life. So that, that's how it began. And as you said, it began with a degree of ambivalence and foreboding um, and a bit of discomfort as well as joy. In my own work, my, my initial uh, book, Conversations with the Universe, was very much about the signs and symbols and how these different dots connect along the way, that the world is constantly speaking to us and guiding us. And so often that awakening does have us look at life in a more present manner or notice things that we didn't noticed before. And as you proceeded, uh, you you had begun collecting some beautiful paintings up in Montreal and different things. And you came to the point where you looked around that space where you would hang these things and realized 
that it had not been you collecting these things, but these things had almost been uh, coming to you. And, and they painted a story, so to speak, or they created a web of these dots that had started to connect, which is, um, I, I, in my own book, I tell people if they just look in their homes at the pictures that they have, at the things that they possess, that those things are actually speaking to them about who they really are and what's going on in their life. So talk a little bit about how come you you latched more on to the Native American perspective as opposed to the Buddha statue that was sitting in your space or any other piece, or did they all kind of come together in a story or in a way to say, lean down this path uh, because there is some... Uh, DNA genetic uh, attributes to you on this path, but that you are really part of all of this. Put us inside your psychology at this point. Yeah, I, w- I want to make it very clear that as a sociologist, historian, I certainly understand and recognize the extraordinary differences and richness and diversity of the world's spiritual and religious traditions. And I I don't want to glibly say, oh, I've discovered, you know, they're all one and the same. You know, they, they are not. You know, they have very different principles and teachings, and sometimes they challenge one another. That said, um, I have to say that the message of the art that is collected around me in the room where I sit now, I do feel had a very simple and elemental message, which is wake up to a spiritual dimension, wake up to the possibility that all of these different cultures have in their own way discovered an underlying truth, which is that reason is inadequate to understand who we are, where we're going, and reason needs to be enhanced by, not overthrown by, but enhanced by spiritual wisdom and guidance. So, I I think to answer your question very specifically, I was drawn back to my Native American heritage simply because it is, as I said previously, I think it is somehow residing in my DNA and, you know, Buddhism and Christianity, the other symbols in my room, um, were not as vibrant as the Native American awakening. So when... When I traveled into downtown Montreal to the old town um, and stumbled across, you know, um, this wonderful Sikh artist, Manjit uh, Chatrik Singh, sitting in his little stall, you know, I was confronted with pictures of Native Americans colored in an Indian, Indian palette. And it was, it was as if a message were being sent right then and there. This is the town where your French-Canadian ancestors came and they went and met your Native American ancestries and this is where your journey is going to begin. And it was that day discovering and encountering those paintings and a dear friend and a person who is often a mentor who awakened me to the need to engage my past that's beautiful. Um, and, and there's a, a wonderful painting of Manjit's in your book that is, is really quite striking. Now, as you're digging into your awakening, and in the book you talk about a conceptual map, that there's four types of encounters. 
uh, with Native American heritage and wisdom that you experience, and that that's kind of what led you. Can you uh, briefly describe what those four types of encounters are so that as we move forward, we understand some of the symbolism and messages that you're going to be speaking of? Sure. I I described it briefly in a chapter, and I tried, and I think I succeeded in avoiding all of my college-level philosophy courses um, about epistemology and words that terribly intimidate people and boil it down to a simpler language. So I I tried to understand being just direct and, and simple with my own personal experience, what it was that I found as new pathways to this awakening. And and one of them was simply observing what was going on in the world around me. That's easy to say. It's hard to do because we need to take the time to look and see. So people who are hunkered down with COVID isolation now can go out with a child and observe Mother Nature and its resilience in the sidewalk with the dandelion breaking up through the asphalt or the moss growing in the cracks. That kind of observation yields wisdom. One of the other forms of knowing is to reflect, to process the observations that we have and ask hard questions. What what is being told to me? What is being offered? What is being challenged? What do I need to do to come to terms with it? Um, And is it real? That's a fair question to ask. Sometimes we imagine things that we want to happen, and they can lead us down the wrong path. One of the other um, modes of knowing that I I mentioned is storytelling, which we're doing right now. And as I find again and again, telling our story and trying to explain it to others makes us clarify it and gives us feedback so that we become self-critical, and also we appreciate what we're doing and what others are doing. Finally, the most jarring and I think perhaps unique aspect of a Native American awakening is what I call visitations. When, as I mentioned earlier, the firefly or the koi wolf or the owl or the hawk comes and sits on the railing outside of the window and stares into my eyes And I know for certain it is not just a bird sitting there looking at me. It is a bird delivering a message. For example, in the what I just discussed with the the hawk, it was the morning my my brother died, and I was wondering how long he was going to live. And as Native American lore suggests, these birds are the messengers of people walking on and the guides into the next land, the next place. So these these kinds of visitations send chills down one's spine. And I don't expect everyone to have those kinds of experiences. I'm still uncertain about the degree to which non-Native Americans will have some of these experiences. But my readers and my neighbors tell me when I retail, retell my stories that they too have had such experiences. They are just sometimes reluctant to talk about them for fear that their family members or other neighbors will think that they're crazy. 
Randy Krakowski shows how ancestral connections and intimate communications with nature are not unique or restricted to those with indigenous cultural roots, offering a bridge between cultures, a path that can be followed by Native and non-Native alike. Randy shows that spiritual awakening can happen anywhere for anyone and can open the gateway to deeper understanding. Find out more at randykrakowski.com, and the name of the book is Without Reservation. We'll be right back after these messages. want more more joy more abundance more power and presence how would it feel to have more loving relationships more empowered community greater fulfillment and life purpose the 1111 mastermind community inspires empowers guides and supports transformation shift your mind expand your heart deepen insights let go and chart a new course dream a new dream The 1111 Mastermind Community is an online portal for personal transformation and soulful expansion. Go to courses.1111mag.com. That's courses.1111mag.com. Change begins with you. Let it be simple, convenient, and transformative. The time is now. Step through the 1111 gateway. Courses.1111mag.com. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today. www.1111mag.com 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. Simron is an award-winning author, publisher of 1111 Magazine, powerful speaker of wisdom, and a life mentor. Find out more at imsimron.com. Now, back to 1111 Talk Radio. Sovereign is a word that one hears a great deal on the reservation, although it is not heard commonly in everyday conversations in the mainstream. The reason is simple. The United States is a powerful nation, and its citizens rarely, if ever, have the legitimacy of their constitutional rights challenged at home. Minorities often find that their constitutional rights are not respected, but rarely do law enforcement officials and government leaders deny outright and boldly the very reality of applicable laws that protect these rights. 
However, when it comes to treaty rights and the sovereign, independent legal status of Indian nations, Native Americans must struggle constantly for acknowledgement of the very existence of their rights because they must struggle for acknowledgement of their nationhood. This is part of Randy Krakowski's book, Without Reservation. I invite you to go to his website um, and find out more about him and to go to Amazon and pick up the book and read his deeply personal story that's also filled with a lot of beautiful wisdom that connects to nature, to this time, and will have you see things in a different way. And I'm going to, again, kind of jump in this book, Randy, from where we were around those four pathways to an actual experience you have, and it connects to the section on sovereignty that I I just read. And it was when you were going into a butterfly garden, and, uh, and there was also a bonsai exhibit that was taking place uh, settling in, uh, in there and you you wrote something about the trees and how they were meticulously bound and trimmed and you compared them to even uh, the oriental feet the, the Chinese how their feet are bound uh, and, and often shrunk and it really made me think about how we as a society oftentimes with how we buy into ideas or what we're told or how we're conditioned and we conform, that that's our own bonsai cutting, so to speak, that is taking place. Uh, and, and it just had me take pause in regard to that section because aside from the symbolism that nature shows us in its own right, uh, from the hawk to the koi wolf to different ways that you know, the lightning bugs showed up, there are also these types of symbols that appear that we praise as really beautiful, but they also have these really subtle uh, understandings that come forth if we allow ourselves to be present with it. So the question here is in, in moving through your awakening and the uncovering of the messages that were coming through, whether it was the koi wolf or the hawk or the wisdom that you came to uh, seeing bonsai trees or the butterflies, um, your presence to the fact that nature has a message or that there is something going on related to an experience you're having, where did that connection come from? Where did you get the aha moment that those two things were inextricably linked? Wow, it's an amazing question. Um, and it's, I feel like I'm in PhD orals here now with <laughs> the depth of this question. <laughs> So you you've done something that no one else has has done. You've linked you know this sort of microscopic reaction to a bonsai plant rootless three feet above a concrete floor to the issue of sovereignty, which is dear to my people. So let me see if I can can make that connection because you've you now are forcing me to rethink. Um, and and it's and it's sort of. Uh, college political science um, textbook sense sovereignty refers to the ultimate legal authority of a people and in the modern world that's a nation state you know by treaties from the treaty of westphalia um, all nation states have sovereignty and you know they need not surrender it it needs to be respected one of the things that most people throughout the world don't understand about indigenous peoples and certainly Americans don't understand about um, Native Americans and many Canadians 
don't understand about First Nations people is that when the European conquerors came, they made legally binding agreements and they respected the sovereignty of pre-existing nations. They didn't do it in good faith. And they didn't totally understand what they were agreeing to in some cases, but they did sign treaties. And it's embedded in our Constitution that Native Americans with whom this republic signed treaties, these people will be respected as sovereign nations. So in the United States, within our boundaries, we have sovereign nations. Within Canada, they have sovereign nations. Ultimately, respecting those treaties comes down to exactly that, respect. And that has been absent for 500 years, quite simply because we other Native Americans and indigenous people from the founding of this hemisphere's colonial conquered states, um, you know, indigenous people were viewed as not quite totally human as others. And that continues to this very day. So as a result, it's okay to break a treaty with Native Americans. It's okay to tell them they have fishing rights in the Great Lakes and then take it away because you want to make a pipeline through their territory. It all comes down to othering, turning both Mother Nature and indigenous people and people of color into something less than humans or less than kin. And I include my creatures in the forest, my fellow creatures as kin on the same level as as humans. So if, if we want... If we want to heal ourselves and heal others, we need to begin to view people in terms of being thou and not its. That's the simple key to unlocking this challenge and dilemma of escaping from the terrible othering and dehumanization that we're struggling with, not just in the United States these recent weeks or months or years, but really across the globe. And it's, it's why we've gotten into the mess with Mother Nature that we have. We've turned her into an it that we can exploit. You say it beautifully uh, in the book. I learned that Native American sovereignty in its broadest sense lies at the heart of efforts to protect this planet. The kinship I have come to feel toward my forest kin has traditionally been part of Native American culture and consciousness. Although this connection may have been attenuated by the urbanization of many Native Americans, it is alive, well, and beckoning. Uh, there's there's a lot in this book, and it's it's an interesting interview because I want to talk about pieces of the book, and yet this is a book that individuals need to pick up and read because it is filled with story, it is filled with uh, intellect, it is filled with uh, personal heart and spirituality. So there's a lot going on here. And I am of the belief that at this time that we are a people that needs to learn to become present again with one another, with the richness of our stories and and also our humanity. And in the book, uh, there's a time where there's a story of the koi wolf being told. And 
uh, it is being told to the children that are around there. And you write at the end that Native Americans measured time by moons, seasons, and important historical events. Did our ancestors know in their time from their side of the anniversaries we calculate, did they sense a gathering of kin at this place around these objects and these portals of time? And that so it would seem. And they took this opportunity to send a specific message. And that message was, we are present. Can you talk about the presence that Native American culture has to the earth, has to themselves, has to the stories, and why that's important now more than ever? So this this returns to the theme of observation and visitation and knowing and being making ourselves accessible and in some cases I would say maybe vulnerable um, to the presence of what nature is telling us and what our ancestors are telling us. Being honest with our our own feelings, but is equally important with what we see. This is this is not contrary to what scientists call empirical observation. It's trusting what we see, which sometimes contradicts what we've been told. Um, for example, you know, we're told in the news on a daily basis that you know all ecosystems are in collapse and everything is dying and the birds are falling from the sky, which is part of the truth. But if, if we go outside and we make ourselves present and we work in the garden or we go for a walk in the park, or if we even just observe what's going on in the potted plants on our windowsill, suddenly we are aware of um, a, a, a kind of revitalization and resurgence and healing and resilience that we probably weren't previously aware of. That's that's the pathway to healing that we need to get on. And as we as we move forward in this way, um, for those individuals that are of the identity that people see them, and yet they have another uh, DNA identity or affiliation that they really ascribe to, what would you say is? Uh, the biggest challenge to that, and what is the greatest solution towards that challenge? Becoming comfortable with ourselves is obviously where we need to begin and where we need to end. And I think you've pointed out several times during this discussion that I keep looping back to that theme because identity um, is at the the core of how we act. If we if our identity is that we are powerless, destructive people, we will behave as powerless, destructive people. Um, so it, it's it, it is it is simple. It, it it isn't that people should. My book is not about people um, needing to become Native Americans or like Native Americans. It's about getting in touch with what your roots tell you and what the environment around you tells you. And if it's giving you the wrong message, get out of that environment, social or natural, and get into one that is nurturing and find strength and affirmation there. It abounds. Assuming a posture of indifference to 
disconnects from the natural world is seductive because it allows us to escape our discomfort over the damage that we have done and are doing to Mother Earth. This is not just some liberal hypersensitivity found only in educated urban elites. It is the existential guilt most of us, native and mainstream, feel because in our heart of hearts and perhaps in our genes, we know that Earth is our mother. Mother Earth is being raped and much of the time we are non-participating but non-intervening witnesses. We are complicit, like frat house brats who know what is happening upstairs during a drunken party that is out of control. We turn a blind eye and a deaf ear to the calls for help. I invite you to pick up Randy's book without reservation. It is a beautiful story of spiritual awakening. It will have you face some of the issues of our world in a compassionate lens, while at the same time opening your eyes, your heart, and your mind to the many ways that the world is speaking to you and the many connections that you have. And join me next week as my guest is Robert Simmons and we go into the world of crystals and how crystals are not only a healing agent, but they too are talking to us. Thank you, Randy, for being on 1111 Talk Radio. I am Simran. Until next week, be well. In love, of love, with love and as love. Thank you for opening your mind to a new reality, your heart to greater compassion, and your experience of aliveness with 1111 Talk Radio. Join host Simron next Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern Time to step through the gateway of conscious living here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Remember, you are not on the journey. You are the journey.